You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Morning. Have you ever found yourself in a place or a position of your life where there's somebody, it could be somebody you personally know or somebody you kind of know from the distance and you just kind of want to be more like them? Right, like there's something in them, there's something in their ability to to complete a skill or react in a certain way, and there's just part of you that goes, man, I really wish I could be more like that. Like you wanna become a little bit better than where you are now. This weekend, actually, uh, I always go in before service and the prayer team's like, hey, what can we pray for you for? And I tell them about the message and where I am, and I've, I've basically eliminated a page and a half of my notes from today. So that was one of the things I asked them to pray for me for. Um, but, you know, like for me, I'm always trying to become a better parent. Like, you ask me the most important relationships in my life after my relationship with Jesus. It's my wife, and then my kids come after that. And, and it's something I actually take a little bit of pride in. Like, I think that I do, not perfect, not even close, but a pretty good job of being a dad, of being involved, about trying to communicate the most important things to my kids in their life. But man, there's times I get it wrong and I get it wrong in a pretty significant way. And yesterday was one of those days. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room to make me feel a little better? Okay. Like, so, so yesterday, we had a fun day. Right, like uh, I was out playing in the yard with my kids in between rainstorms. Um, I'm a baseball fanatic, right? Like not in following anymore, but in playing it. So if somebody gets one of them old man slow pitch softball leagues, like I'm, I'm, I'm your guy, right? Just reach out. But so I'm in the yard and I'm playing ball with the kids and I'm tossing to it and. And I was just angry. And I can point to probably some reasons why I am as I've thought back over it. And like, I'm getting frustrated in some manner because my, my children aren't listening. And there was a level that I needed to take it. But had anybody else ever done this? You just go a few steps above that, right? And I did. And then, and it like carried through. So we don't do this a lot, but there's a little restaurant that we like to go to and there's appetizers that my kids like. And so we haven't done this in a while. So we took them out to dinner. And, and on the way home, man, I was frustrated still. And again, somebody wasn't listening. So me pressing in was something that I needed to do, but they weren't listening again. So I yelled back and I, I, I and I'm not, actually, I don't think you should probably say this word too often. If you do, it's okay. Like I yelled at my kids to shut up. And yeah, you giggle, but it's like, it, the way I did it wasn't good. Like it wasn't, and so I'm thinking about that and I, I'm wanting to come better. And I know I'm, I'm gonna always have to apologize, but one thing I can become better at is when I do something wrong is saying I'm sorry. So I'm talking with the prayer team and I'm like, this is something I need to do. So I come in, I see my wife gathered, I'm like, oh crud, are my kids already back in? But they're all around the table. And I just brought them in and I was like, hey, let me tell you, like, daddy messed up, and this is where I was. And one of the reasons I do that is because, like, I had a great picture of a dad, and he was just better at this than me. Probably not better at saying he was sorry, but when I made my dad angry because I was a bad child, remember, like, all of this, this happens to us. Like, he did such a good job of removing himself so he didn't react out of anger. And I want to become better at doing that. And I think that if you read through the Bible, if you read through the messagings and the teachings of Jesus, one of the things that he does is he wants us to become better in these areas and arenas and facets of life that we just aren't so good with. And it's great to want to become better. 
But, but if we just like try, like, yeah, you'll gain, but there's like this different kind of power that I believe that he wants to release to us to help us, whether it's your parenting or your relationship with your spouse or coworkers or whatever it is. And there's a way that we can walk that we so often miss. And as we're in this series about the Thessalonian church, we're gonna talk about the hardships and the struggles that they went through, but what they came out of it like and how they were able to interact. And we're also gonna look at what was the main thing that enabled them to react in such a way. Because I think what is true for them that they got is just as true for us today. So that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time today in that passage that Davey teased out for us a little bit. But before we do that, I wanna take a moment and pray, and then we're gonna receive our offering, and we will jump into the text. Would you all pray with me? Um, Father, thank you for today. Um, there's a lot of people in the seats that are thankful that I skipped past a page and a half of my notes, which means we'll get out of here hopefully a little bit earlier. Um, but no, really, Lord, I'm just thankful for the things that you reveal, the way you come near us, the way that you want us to walk in step with you, because it is such a game changer for literally every moment of our lives, as I'm even finding out a little bit more this morning. I pray that who you are and the way that you want to reveal to yourself to us would become more real for us in some ways in these moments of our lives and we would understand who you are and what that means for us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, our ushers are gonna come down now and they're gonna pass our uh, offering bags. And let me first say, hey, if you're a guest or you're new here with us, we don't want you to feel any obligation like you need to participate in this part of our message. For those of you that will, I wanna say thank you in advance. And if you'd like to give but aren't prepared that way, we've got an app or you can text the number on the screen or go to our website and give. And I really wanna say thank you to those of you who serve and those of you who give because you are the fuel that makes our ministry run. And there's so many things like Stephen talked about and soak or die or the these events that we can put on that will bring people in and get them rubbing shoulders with other believers in a way that maybe they wouldn't come to on a Sunday. But there's also one other thing I wanna thank you for and make you aware. I'm sure many of you know that we hired a new senior pastor over the past few, numps, few months. His name is Brian Mowry, and he started on August 1st. I wanna cue you in to one more thing that's happening. So on September 10th, Brian is going to be streaming a message to all of our campus, but he's gonna be live here at CT. And I know for schedule reasons or whatever is sometimes we don't come to every week, but I would love it if you could make this week a priority to be here with us or, or watch online. If you're watching online, we would love to invite you back if that is something that you're capable and able to do because of the space you're in, because Brian is going to be laying out the vision that we're going for the next year in our church. So it's a big Sunday. It's the first time this church has transitioned from uh, our founding pastor to the new senior pastor. So want to invite you out. Hope you all will come and be a part of us. I think it's going to be a great week and a lot of fun. So like I said, would love to invite you out to that time. Okay, so Thessalonians, I want to give you the context kind of of some of the things that are happening that will make it a little bit easier for us to understand the dynamics that the Thessalonian church is experiencing. So if you go to the book of Thessalonians and you read through it, all of a sudden you're getting these details about what is happening in the life of this church, but you don't really get to be in it in the moment it's happening. Thessalonians is actually written after, and to get those moments, you actually have to go back to the book of Acts. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with Acts, it comes right after the four accounts of Jesus's life. So in your New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four different accounts of four different people who are with Jesus, are friends of Jesus, that details his life. And then there's this book called Acts. And very simply, it means the acts, the things that Jesus's followers did after he went away. And in the 
chapter 17 of Acts, we find the different dynamics that are happening that led to Paul writing this letter back to these people. Right? So if you go through and you read it, you'll see that there's some pretty amazing things happening. So I'm going to give you a little context. So they're in this area called Thessaloniki or Thessaloniki, something like that. And it's a port city, which was an incredibly important thing to understand because port cities were big. They were places where different thought leaders would come and they would congregate and they would kind of debate each other and try to convince people of their thought process or their belief because then people would leave the port cities and they would go to different places taking their wares or whatever it is they were trying to sell. So it's kind of like this epicenter of different thoughts. So is Paul coming to talk to the city and hope to establish a church? It's a big deal. Right? Now, the dominant religions, if you will, call them quote-unquote, is first the Greco-Roman one. That's the one we all understand of like Zeus and Hermes and all the other Greek gods because it's in the Roman Empire. But there's also a significant amount of Egyptian religion or whatever you would want to call it with another pantheon of different types of gods. But there's also a pretty substantial sect of Jewish people. Now, Jewish people in this moment are different from followers of Jesus. Right? They would have believed the Old Testament and that a Messiah was coming, but they hadn't heard about him yet, or some of them just used the fact that they were Jewish to lord it over people and hold power over them. So that is what is existing in this moment. So that's the backstory of what is happening, right? And so as it comes, Paul comes to this place, and he's only there for about three weeks to two months. We're not really sure exactly what happens other than the fact that there's this significant persecution that starts to happen to the church. And really what it is, the Jewish people that didn't like the message of Jesus because it was taking away their authority and their power over the people get pretty upset. So upset that they actually start a riot. This is what happens. It's in Acts chapter 17 verse 5 says this. It says, some of those Jews who were living in that place were jealous so they gathered some troublemakers from a marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. If you continue reading through the book of Acts, you'll find that they are actually looking for Paul and his two companions who are with him, Timothy and Silas, but they can't find him. And the reason they are after him is because, again, they don't like the message of Jesus because it's releasing from all of this dynamics that they had placed over people. A lot of them were kind of using God to their own ends to gain and for their own benefit. So Paul comes teaching this message and they don't like it. So much so, they start a riot. And as you read, you see that there's this man named Jason who is a Christian convert. He's one of the leaders in this church and some of his friends. They can't find Paul, but they recognize Jason because these three men have been living with him. They grab them and some of the other members of the church and they drag them towards the council, towards the leaders of this community because they're gonna offer a charge against them and it's a pretty significant charge, right? What they said they were, do, were doing was guilty of treason. We see this in verse 7 says this. The men speaking, they say, Jason and his friends have welcomed these people, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to their home. They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king, a king named Jesus. And see, that's absolutely true, but the dynamic is, really, if you hack this out, the Romans probably wouldn't have had a huge maybe negative view of people proclaiming another king in this manner because Jesus' kingdom wasn't about coming and taking over territory. 
It wasn't about an army that would advance. That's what the Jewish people thought. That's why so many of them had a problem with Jesus. He wasn't casting Rome away from them. No, it was a release of like the things that burden us inside, those things that all of us wish that we could let go of and wouldn't hold us in such a way, kind of those highs that we chase because life is hard. Like anybody, like this is me, like I've been accused, would be fall right into this category. We chase things. We chase them because it brings us a temporary high, a temporary relief of the pain that we feel and experience in this life, and it's fleeting, right? You see, that's the type of kingdom that they were offering, something that would solve the problem to that. But these men, again, don't like that dynamic. They're not appreciative. They're upset that their power is going away, so they bring them and make this charge of treason. Now, here's what you have to know. The Romans were masters of punishment, right? We see that, we know that in crucifixion. But in this time frame, if you're convicted of treason, one of the ways the Romans would punish you is they would take a bag that's big enough for a person, they would put you in it, they would take venomous snakes, throw them into the bag, tie it up, and throw you in the river. Right? Like, pretty intense moments. That's what these, these men and women who are part of this early church are being accused of, right? Hey, anybody want to sign up to be a member? Right? Like, could you imagine coming in here and you go to the hub and it's like, hey, this could be the dynamic that you're a part of. But that's what the early church was involved in. That's what following Jesus and coming to a part of him meant was in store for them in their lives, right? And it gets so bad that they, Jason and his friends were told, if you continue to read, they actually have to post bond. They give a bail so that they won't leave town and they release them. But as they release them, they find Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They say, hey, it's pretty bad here. Y'all better get out of town. You see, Paul's hope was to stay there longer with the church to help it establish and grow, but it wasn't his main goal. He had to go other places and start other churches. So Paul leaves, and we don't really know what happens to the Thessalonians until Paul writes this letter. See, Paul loved this church. He cared for them. He didn't leave because he was worried about the persecution that would come his way. No, Paul was stoned. He was beaten with rods in the back. He was shipwrecked. He had all of the worst kind of things happen to him, but he knew because he was walking in step with the Spirit that he couldn't stay in this space, so he left. But because of his love for them, a few months later, we assume he sends Timothy back. We see that, and I think it's chapter 3, verse 2 of this first letter to the Thessalonians. And Timothy sees that the church is thriving. Snakes, water, sacks, it doesn't matter. This church is moving, they're going forward, they're deepening, they're gathering, they're praying together, they're walking in their relationship with Jesus and each other. They are being the perfect example of what you would want a church to be. Not perfect, it, we're not gonna get into it today, but if you read the letter, there's things that they didn't understand, so Paul corrects their thinking, but they are thriving because they are walking in step with Jesus and moving in relationship with him. It's not because they're following all the rules or doing everything right. It's because they are walking and pursuing this dynamic that you hear people talk about all the time, but we really don't understand relationship with Jesus or relationship with God. So Timothy goes back. He tells Paul they're doing well, and he sends them this letter. And the thing that I always think is like, man, you look at them and you're like, that's the person I want to be, right? Like much like my dad, who is 
better in this realm of parenting and controlling his anger. I'm like, how can I be more like my dad? There were times where my dad was alive and I would ask him some of these questions and he would give me answers or give me thoughts about why that could be. So we look at this and we get to see in a moment, Paul demonstrates for us how it is they do that. But before we get into that, I wanna read the second two verses that Davey read. First Thessalonians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says this. He says, you became, talking to the church, imitators of us and imitators of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst, middle of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model. There's another translation that says you excelled to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Like, this is pretty amazing. Like, I know that we don't understand and we all have the context, but Paul is probably the second most influential person in the history of the world. And he writes back to these people in a way that he didn't, for those of you that didn't know, Paul wrote a lot of letters to other churches that we have in our Bible. People don't get this response, but there was something that this church got early on in such a way, right? And it wasn't because they were believers for decades, it wasn't that they'd had this ability to walk and be established in their faith with Jesus for decades. And because of that, when the really hard moments finally came, they were able to step up and find themselves responding correctly because of the depth of time that they'd had to develop their relationship with Jesus. No, they probably had a month, two, maybe three at the most, and they are responding well in the midst of circumstances that frankly, most of us will never even have to taste more, less deal with. Paul is affirming this church and encouraging them because when things got real, they responded. They hit the ground running in their relationships with Jesus. Something happened to them. Something came into their lives and took over in such a way that the consequences of any part of one of the most extreme, brutal regimens the world has ever seen wasn't enough to pull them away from that relationship with Jesus that they were pursuing. So the question I think that all of us should really contemplate and ask, because I'm gonna assume if you're here in church that you have a baseline of Jesus or maybe you're curious or interested or maybe somebody drug you and you're not even wanting to be here. I'm still so thankful that you are here with us. But like, how do we get to the place where we can be like the Thessalonian church, like these brand new believers in a moment like this. You see, I think Paul gives us the answer and it's why I didn't read verse five because I think the answer is found in verse five. This is what Paul says to them. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. I've been a follower of Jesus for the majority of my life. I grew up in church. <laughs> Some of y'all think coming once a week is tough. Bro, I was there three times on Sunday. <laughs> Some of you are giggling because you don't know, like Sunday school, Sunday church, Sunday night. And I'm not saying that to demean or belittle anybody. But I had a really good head knowledge of who God was because I was at church so much. Again on Wednesday, again on Tuesday. And I prayed a prayer when I was seven where I thought that I had this relationship because I knew who Jesus was and I believed in him. But the reality is I never met him. 
Like I had all this head knowledge. Jesus' brother James talks about this in part of the, what he wrote that's actually in our, Bible, in our Bible. He says that the demons, right, the enemies of God, like they believe in Jesus. They absolutely believe and they fear and tremble. And their names aren't written in any book, which means that God will be with them here on earth and then allow him or be able to join him in heaven because it's more than just believing in Jesus. We all have people that we know and we believe. I believe that Chip and Joanna Gaines are phenomenal designers. I believe that LeBron James or pick your favorite U.S. soccer player is a, an incredible athlete, but I've never met them. I've never met them and I've never walked with them and developed a relationship with them. And what the Thessalonian church understood is it's not enough to believe. Our belief takes us to this action where we want to meet Jesus in such a way. And after we meet him, we decide, yeah, I want to follow him knowing that I'm going to go after it in an imperfect manner and I'm going to mess up just like this church and Thessalonians did so much so that when Paul wrote the letter, he had to correct some of the wrong thinking. But it wasn't solely and completely about just being obedient obedient like obedience does come and it's times where we have to kind of grit and obey because there's things that we don't really want to but that happens after we believe and we meet Jesus and we begin to follow him see when we follow him the relationship comes and this power that the church received is given to every single one of us if you go back to the life of Jesus, there's this moment where he's getting ready to die, 12 hours probably before he goes to the cross, and he's having this moment called the Last Supper. We're really familiar with it, and he tells his disciples he's gonna leave, but it's better. And the reason it's better is because he is going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power that Paul is talking about in this passage. You see, when you believe in Jesus, his, and you meet him and make the decision to follow him, we are taught, we are told, we experience the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what this church had. But just because you get that doesn't mean that you're going to respond in this way. That is why it's important to keep in relationship. I'm sure all of us can think of a spouse, a friend, or somebody we've had a relationship with, one, right, where it was good, but then something happened. Maybe there was a, a riff or, or a dynamic where kids came into the circumstance or, or a tension. And because of that close relationship that we felt was broken and it was frayed. And we don't experience each other in the same way that we once did. That can happen in our walk with Jesus. And where it doesn't mean that he writes us off or we're not saved or he doesn't care for us. It does mean that that power that we have the ability to walk in doesn't exist in the way it did because of it. But the reality of who Jesus is and what he wants to do for us is he is always there, open arms saying, come back. Yes, I want to forgive you because there are things that you do that are wrong, that are separate us. And he is the arbiter of those, but he's not shaming us. He's not guilting us. He is inviting us back. And in the invitation is not just a desire to be with him, but a desire to have this power that Paul talks about, that this church experienced so that when life hits us, we can respond similar. Give me a literal hand. How many people have been hit hard in life? Like, get your hands up. It's every single one of us in this room. You see, there is a way to live where the way that we respond isn't contingent on our circumstances being perfect or just being good. And the way that we have that is by finding the power that God talks about. He, Paul says this, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he tells them, he says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. 
He didn't accept it as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed in work in those of you who believe. Back with my dad. (laughs) Man, when my dad spoke in our house, you listened, right? And you listened because my dad was the authority. And I think he did this in a really healthy way of of being firm and, and holding people accountable, but also demonstrating how deeply he loved us. And because of that, when dad spoke, there was authority in his words. And what I want you to understand, it's the same thing as Paul is writing here. Because though we seem it's Paul's writing words, it's not. This is actually coming from the mouth of God to Paul to deliver to us because there is a better way to live. I'm not saying it's an easier way. It's not an easier way. There's going to be moments where it's hard. Sometimes it's easier to chase the temporary high. To chase the temporary high because it gives us relief and it gives us a a time away from the pain that we feel so often. But it's definitely not a better way to live. See, there's a better way where God wants to give you this power. He wants to release you into something, not just to save you, not just so that you be with him forever, but so that we can walk in this and live a life, what we refer to as the best kind of life, but in a different way in the here and now. And it's not just based on the situations or circumstances we find ourselves in. You see, the power of God's word was greater than the existential circumstances these people were saying and what they had. God offers to every single one of us. You see, words alone don't bring transformation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that God offers us. Paul wrote something else in a letter to another church. Similar topic, but a little bit disconnected. Church in Galatia, he says this. So I say, walk with the Spirit and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I'll go back to what I said before. Like, like, yeah, Jesus wants this relationship. But there's times where life will hit us and separate. In those moments... God's not looking at us to shame us or make us feel, feel bad. Now, listen to me. God will bring it up. And I think sometimes we get this confused. God will convict us of our sin because our sin is bad for us. Like, that's the simplest way to put it. It separates us from him. It makes us chase highs that can't fulfill the longing we really need. It's like a meal where you eat and you eat and yet yeah, tastes good, but it never satisfies. And eventually you just don't want anything to do with it. That's what chasing temporary highs in this world will do to us. It will push us in such a way to where we don't find what we're wanting. And actually, I think God created it just like that because if we were able to find what it was that we wanted through items like this, we would not pursue him. We would not go after things like that. There is a different power that God has for us, but in order to find it, it's something that we need to walk in. And the way that we walk in it is by having relationship with Jesus. It's by spending time with him. Some of it, yeah, in his word, sometimes outside walking, talking to him, listening. But this is the dynamic that he wants each and every one of us to experience. Because here's the reality. Like, whatever is happening to us, life will come at us in such a way that will expose the place that we actually are, right? In college, I had to take 
I didn't have to take. I took a running class because um, I had high, blushers, high blood pressure as a young person. So they said, you know, running is helpful with that and it'll teach you to learn to love running. They lied. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I was in shape. Like I did, the longest run I did was a 17-mile mountain run. I ran a race that called What Goes Up Most Cuts Down. It's five miles up and five miles down. And I hated every stinking step of the place and the miles that I was taking. But man, I can tell you, I was in shape. And when the final came, which was a five-mile run around a track, you could see that I'd put in the effort by running all of those miles to get to a place where I could get an A on the final. You see, what we go through exposes where we've been. And life will come at you because we live in a sin-filled, cursed world where it will hit and it will hurt. But if you have walked with Jesus in those moments, much like this Thessalonian church, we will see where you are because what you've done is being shown in what you are going through. And listen, I think sometimes we think that you gotta be a pastor or you've had to be a Christian for years to find this. I'm telling you, the Thessalonian church found it in weeks to months at the longest. This is what God offers every single one of us. So I just I know there's two groups of people here in this room. There's people that are committed followers or are just following, and there's people that aren't. Let me first speak to the people in this room that would say, yeah, I'm not quite sure about Jesus. Not sure if who he is, not sure if he's real, not sure what I necessarily believe about him. Like, this is what I want you to understand. What this church experienced is what he invites us into. I don't know what you've heard about God. To be honest, from what I assume a lot of you have heard about God and who he is, chasing temporary highs that doesn't really fulfills us, but at least gives us pleasure for a moment, sounds a lot better than the God that you've heard about. But when Jesus came, one of the things he was doing was redefining or resetting for people who God was because of other people who taught them they had it wrong. And he wanted them to understand that the invitation he makes to you, that he's made to me, that he makes to all of humanity, is yes, you believe in him, but then you meet him. And after you meet him, you start to say, you know, I'm not sure, but I'm gonna follow you. There's gonna be moments where God calls you to do something or wants to pull you out of sin, and you're gonna say, I don't wanna. <laughs> That's okay, we've all been there, but we say, I'm gonna keep pursuing, I'm gonna keep walking with you so Jesus' convictions, so God's word start to become ours. And as we do that, there's a power that he wants to release us into to walk in a different way in this life. And when you walk like this, the circumstances that you find yourself in, they're gonna hit a little bit differently. Things that would have knocked you out before in an emotional kind of way aren't gonna have the same impact because as you've been with Jesus, where you've been gets exposed by life and you're gonna be standing differently than you did before. Second question I wanna ask, or people I wanna talk to, is to those of us in here who would say we have been following Jesus, right? That that's who we are. Because in this passage, Paul talks about how the church imitated him, and then they, uh, after they imitated him, they imitated Jesus. So the question for you, and this is the question for me too, is what kind of role model are we? If somebody was to look at my life, into your life, and the curtain could be pulled back, or even the moments where we are in public, what kind of person would they see us acting like? What person would they see us being? Would we be people who model love and kindness the way that Jesus did? 
Would we be modeling faith and assurance like the Thessalonians did or all kinds of other peoples? Would we be demonstrating the values of the kingdom of heaven? Because if we do, they are so different and so starkly contrastive to the values of this world that they would see something that they wouldn't be able to say there's not a difference between. And when you live like that, It's intoxicating in the holiest, best kind of ways to somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is. And this isn't a shame, this is a guilt, but maybe it is a conviction from the Spirit. For me, like yesterday when I was belligerent and mean and angry to my children in a way I shouldn't have been. What kind of model are we? And here's the greatest thing, is we've been a bad model, much like I was yesterday. You can circle up with the ones that you need to and ask them to forgive you. Some of the most powerful moments in scripture and in life are people who understood they weren't doing it correctly and asked somebody to forgive them of the way and the manner that they were treated. And if you are not where you want to be, it's okay. None of us are. In that language, Paul says to the Thessalonians in verse five, he says, you became, right? Or it, actually, the Greek word is genomai. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but close enough. And it very simply means you became or you're becoming. See, none of us arrive here on this side of earth, and that's okay. But as we pursue Jesus, after we've met him, we become more like him, and we get bigger doses of this power. So when life hits, we reveal who it is that we have been with. And I hope that this is freeing for all of us because you and I have not arrived We are becoming. If you're somebody who is far from Jesus or not sure about him, this is what he invites you into. This is what he wants. This is what he wants the church to be into so we can be a bastion of light in the best kind of way in a broken world that experienced sin and hardship and much like the Thessalonian church did. We've got a partner overseas. I'm not going to tell you where. I'm not going to tell you who they are because it might put them in a bad space where people are burning their churches and they are putting them in jail. But because of the way they have walked with Jesus, when this happened, there's exposure of where they've been and they're not giving up. They're not turning back because they know what this is, that this is a tactic of the enemy because they've done some pretty amazing and phenomenal things over there. And what the Thessalonians found and what those people found is power that God wants to give to every single one of us. And the way that we find that power is we walk in step with the Spirit so we leave a life, lead a life that's pleasing to the God and a transforming life. That's why our mission statement is to see people mobilized and transformed by the message of Jesus so we can walk into this and help others do that as well. Philip Yancey is an author, and I read a book of his called What's So Amazing About Amazing Grace. Had me all over the map, wrecking me, encouraging me, building me up, tearing me down. But he says this, the kingdom of God thrives where its subjects follow the desires of the king. You say that one more time. The kingdom of God thrives where its subjects follow the desires of the king. We keep in spirit. We walk with the king. It won't matter if they're talking about snakes, rivers, or they're burning down our churches, or your relationships are a mess because it's not your fault. Because when those things hit, 
where you have been will be exposed. And when you walk with Jesus, though it's not hard, though it always won't go well, though you will make mistakes, it will be evident though those around us. And because of that, they will see something you that they would want. Tell me you wouldn't want to live your life like that. Where people look at you and they see your confidence, your maturity, your ability to handle. And they come up to you and they say, what is in you that makes you live like that? That is what God wants for us. That is the power he offers us. And that's what he wants to call us into. I hope as you go home this week that you'll think about that. Maybe there's five chapters in the book of Thessalonians. Read one of them a day, slowly, and ask God, what is in here that you have for me? And then think about it, talk to him about it, and stop and listen, because I believe he wants to speak to every one of us, because that's what happens in relationship. That's what he has for you, that's what he has for me, and when we do that, (laughs) you want to talk about power. You'll see power in your life like you've never experienced before. Let's pray. Lord, um, I wish I'd walked in this younger, and it was a lot of years before I figured it out in being with you. My hope and prayer is the walls that we have built up, the thoughts that we have about you that are wrong would start to subside so we could see who you really are and understand what it is that you want to bring us into. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.